Hey there, welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares. Work harder, baby. Did you enjoy the training yesterday? I really hope that you did. I absolutely love training um, live. I love teaching live. It is literally my most favorite thing in the world to do, apart from podcasting, of course. I really do enjoy podcasting as well. So I'm not going to prattle on at the start of this. This is just a quick intro to say, enjoy today. You're not going to hear from me at the end. And make sure you tune in tomorrow for another very special bonus episode of these live trainings that we're doing all week in the Million Dollar Mentor. And I will be back next week with my usual episode of the the Kim Constable podcast on a Thursday or a Friday, but this week we're doing these live trainings. So tune in and enjoy, and we'll just go straight into the training and I won't speak to you again at the end. Okay. Have a great day. And enjoy. I'm an avid reader. Um, I'm not an avid reader. I've an, I'm an avid consumer of information. And I used to be the kind of person who had to read the book from start to finish. Like I wouldn't give myself permission just to jump through it and skim it and pull out bits of information that suited, that, you know, worked for me. I had to read it from start to finish. So because of that, you know, I have loads of unread books, half-read books lying around the house. But so now I give myself permission just to dive into information and take what I need out of it and move on so I can consume more. But whenever I was about two or three years into my online journey, trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do, trying to think about, you know, creating the Work at Home Moms Network and all this kind of stuff, um, and I'm not sure whether it was before I did that. I'm pretty sure it was afterwards that I came across this strategy because otherwise I would have used it to create the Work at Home Moms Network. But I, um, I, I came across a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. Now, many of you who have been in my paid mentor group will, um, will remember me talking about this. But today I'm actually going to teach exactly how to map out your own Blue Ocean Strategy. Now, what is blue? What is a Blue Ocean Strategy? Well, it's a book by. Um, oh God, Kim, somebody Chan and Renee Mo Moborn, I think. You can look it up online and I recommend that you do look it up online and that you purchase it. Um, I've, I've written down the details of it in the homework for today. So Blue Ocean Strategy basically is a book where it teaches you how to get noticed in a crowded marketplace. It teaches you how to stand out from the crowd, how to create something which is completely and utterly unique because I think that this is what many people struggle with. Many people get into, you know, like, like I did, like the fitness industry and they look around at everybody um, in the fitness industry and they go, Oh my God, the fitness industry is completely saturated. And, um, you know, how am I going to create a product which is going to stand out from the crowd, which is going to be completely different, which is going to make people sit up and take notice. And, one of the mistakes that many people make when they're creating their business or they're creating their products is they look at what other people are doing and they do the same as other people. Because it's easy to look at someone who's successful and think, well, if it's working for her, it'll work for me. And let me tell you something, that is absolutely the worst possible thing that you can ever think for your business. Because I'm just going to put my legs up here. Because Actually, I mean, the amount of people that copy me online is astonishing because they think, oh, Kim Constable has been had massive success. So like my first ever shred program was called the four week shred. Right. Do you know how many four week shred programs there have been created since then? Do you know how many people in my circle, my followers who have now decided to go into fitness online or people who were following me for business advice? Do you know how many people now use the word sculpt? and the word shred in their program creation. Like it's it's insane how many people, you know, want to use my words because they go, oh, the word sculpt, that's a really good word. And oh, the word shred, that's a really good word. And don't get me wrong. People, you know, you like to be in, I'm inspired by other people. Um, I got the word sculpt from a book that I read years ago by a guy called Brad Schoenfeld, Schoenfield. And he, you know, his book was called The Strong and Sculpted. And I remember thinking, sculpt, I love that word, because it reminded me of Cher years ago. You know the singer Cher? She had this fitness video where she talked about burning fat. And she talked about, you know, in, in, my, in my program, you're going to burn fat and sculpt muscle. Burn fat and sculpt muscle. And I was about, I was a teenager at the time. And I remember thinking, yeah, burn fat, sculpt muscle. That, that always stuck with me because I was like, yeah, I want to do Cher's program because yeah, it burned fat and sculpt muscle. So whenever I started creating my programs, I pulled on what I had been inspired 
you know, by years ago by share about burning fat and sculpting muscle. So we're all inspired by other people, but the worst mistake that you can make is thinking that you can copy someone else's business model or copy someone else's sales page or copy someone else's delivery model and that it's going to work for you. And one of the reasons why I have been successful in the way that I have is that I create programs that no one else creates. I create completely unique programs. I create them uniquely in terms of how they're delivered, how they're marketed, what their message is. I, I create completely unique things because I never look to anyone else. In fact, that's not true. I do. I look to other fitness professionals in the industry, but I used to, I never do anymore. But you know, the only reason why I looked at them to see what I could do differently. And I think it, it, I think it naturally stems from the fact that I've always been defiant. I've always been defiant. I was the youngest of three children. And so I was always told, Kim, shut up, sit down. Don't talk too loud. You're talking to you're being that, you know, this and Kim, stop being stop being so much and stop being so loud and stop being so vivacious and stop dancing like that and stop talking like that and stop speaking with your mouth full. So I became really, really defiant. And so I always looked at the industry and thought, well, whatever they're doing, I want to do the opposite. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing because doing what everyone else is doing is boring. But unfortunately, the majority, 80 to 90% of people who start businesses look to what the majority is doing and try to do the same because they don't really want to stand out from the crowd. Okay. Another yesterday we talked about imposter syndrome. I have imposter syndrome, like it's a fucking thing that you can now be diagnosed with. I have imposter syndrome and that is why I'm not successful. Seriously, get over yourself. I'm sorry. Imposter syndrome drives me insane. doesn't exist. And now you're all going, Hmm, pretty much pretty sure I said that in my introductory message. If you did, I'm not judging you. Just don't use it again in my group, okay? Imposter syndrome. You just go, wow, I'm feeling fearful about doing that. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up and fucking do it anyway because I'm the kind of person who gets shit done, right? That's what you say to yourself. You don't go, well, I have imposter syndrome and that's what stops me from being successful. No, it doesn't. That's just a self-diagnosis that you've given yourself to get out of actually doing the fucking work. So stop letting yourself off the hook and get out and do it, okay? Pep talk number one for the day. So um, now I'm getting into the groove and you're like, are you actually wearing clothes under there, Kim? I am. It looks like I'm not, does it? I'm wearing a skirt today, actually. Uh, so I nearly showed you my knickers there. You're like, what's Kim? It's a wee bit, wee bit too much on show there. Um, I have this great chair. It's a yoga chair, actually. And it means you can sit cross-legged and it's by Sukhasana and it's lovely. That's why you can't really see the back of it because I can sit here and be all Zen and like chant and shit during the day. So, okay. Um, what was I saying? So the mistake most people make is they look at other people in the industry and they try and do the same as them. I have had people literally lift copy directly from my sales page, directly from one of my sales pages and put it on their website because they're not fucking creative enough to come up with their own copy. It's not that they're not creative enough. It's that most people really don't know who their audience is. They don't know who they're speaking to. And so therefore they think if they just use my copy and my words and my systems and my emails, that they'll be able to use those to talk to their audience. Because here is the fundamental mistake that people make, which I'm just gonna tie up with what I taught yesterday, okay? So the fundamental mistake that people make is they don't know what is the problem they're solving and they don't really know who their customer is and they don't really know what their customer wants. And that's why I taught what I taught you yesterday because you have to know that first before you even develop a product or a program. Honestly, I I had a, a, a girl recently who came to me. Um, she actually was a friend of mine. I've known her for many, many, many years. And because I was much more successful than her quicker, she was using a lot of my copy and a lot of my um, words and my sales pages and all that kind of stuff for inspiration for her own audience. And, and this is a very common mistake people make, okay? They think I am successful because I have the best copywriters or I have the best web designers or I have, you know, people to Jamie Lee to run my Infusionsoft and my emails or, you know, they think that it's the words, the systems, the emails, the, the and all that kind of stuff that makes me successful and they say to me all the time oh kim if only i could see the back end of your company if only i could see the back end of your website if only i could get access to your swipe files and your emails you know then i would they just think if they could just learn my system have my facebook ads have my designer have access to my facebook ads manager vanessa 
she's actually my marketing director in the company. You know, if they, they think if they could just have access to my team, they could be successful. And I say to them, I, even if I took you and I took your business and I plugged it into my business, it still wouldn't be successful. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not the system, the emails, the words, the sales pages, the designs, the videos. It's none of that. What makes me successful is the fact that I know me inside out, upside down and back to front. And therefore, I can project and have empathy deeply with my customer. And I can understand what their problems are, what their struggles are. And I can create the solutions to solve their problems. And so this friend who came to me, well, she didn't come to me. I actually went to her and I said to her, right, this needs to stop. Okay. Because I said it gently and with love. I said, I know you're dying to be successful and have my success. I said, but here's what I see. I said, you are, you're using my copy as inspiration. You're using my emails as inspiration and you are using that in all of your sales material. And she's in the fitness industry as well, but in a very different area. And I said, here's the problem. I said, my copy speaks to a mindset. My copy, which are the words, copy is another term for words in your sales pages and your emails and that kind of stuff. I said, my copy is written to speak to a very specific person. And I'll tell you who my person is that I speak to. My person is, it doesn't matter if they're male, female, it's mostly female, but whether they're 200 pounds overweight, whether they're skinny, whether they've trained, whether they've never trained, doesn't matter because I don't speak to a person who is 55 years of age, whose name is Karen, who has two children, who's you know dabbling in veganism. I don't speak to that person. I speak to a mindset. So my copy, my programs, my words, my sales pages, my emails, All of that is targeted towards a specific mindset. It's targeted towards the person who sees something hard and is compelled to do it, who wants to be ripped, jacked, shredded, diced, who wants to do the world's most insane shred. Those words appeal to my audience. Insanity, like I said, like diced you know, let's get shredded, you know, all of those extreme words, they appeal to my audience. Do you know why? Because that's me. That's who I am. That's what I love. That's who I create programs for. I don't create programs for anyone else. I create programs for me. And I say to people, I'm like, I have the world's most insane program. You're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life, but you're going to get diced. Want to do it? And if you have that mindset, you're going to go, yes, yes. Yes, I want to do your program. You know, so people see my copy, they see my words, they see how I speak, and they just love it. Like pe- you guys come in here, right? I guarantee you, there was loads of people showed up here in the first day, and I started swearing like a sailor and saying "fuck you all" and "work harder" and "I don't give a shit" and "I'm not" and whatever. And there were some people who probably went, "Oh my god, this girl is not for me. She's crass. She's loud. She's outspoken. I am out of here." And that's great. I don't fucking want those people in here, right? Honestly, if you're a pussy, you need to get out of here. And apparently that's a really not a good word to say in America because it means vagina. But in 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 Belfast, that means cat. Okay. It means meow, like meek and mild. It doesn't mean vagina. So when I say you're a pussy, I'm not talking about your vagina. I'm talking about a cat. Okay. So seriously, if you're a pussy, fucking get out of here because you're not gonna like me. You're gonna hate the way I deliver it. But that's okay, because that's who I am. And that's who I speak to. So you have to learn to be unapologetically you. And the more you you are, the more you will attract your vibe and the more you will attract your tribe. And there'll be people who come in and go, fuck me, I hate her, I am gone. In fact, I probably won't say fuck because people people who don't like me don't swear. <laughs> um, they're more pure than that. Or you'll come in and you'll go, fuck yeah, finally, someone's actually saying it like it is. She's my girl. I'm going to stick with her because she's like me. So you're not really trying to attract people into your business with your words and your copy. You have to try to attract people like you. So back to my story. So I said to my friend, your audience is completely different to mine. You and I are like chalk and cheese. I said, you fucking hit the way I train. You hit the way I work out. You, if you see something which says the world's most insane workout, you run a fucking mile. I was like, so you're you're using my copy to try and attract an audience, which isn't you. You're using my copy, which which is has the essence of me in it, 
which is nothing to do with you. And I said, and I know you very well because I've known her for 20 years. I said, here's you. And I said to her, this is what you love. This is what you do. This is what you've achieved. This is what you've overcome. And that's okay. You don't have a ripped six pack. You don't fucking squat 220 kilos. You do this and you do this and you do this. And that's okay. Because there's millions of women around the world who also want to do that, who look at me and go, no way. Absolutely not. That girl's insane. I'm going nowhere near her. But you, you're much more relatable. I said, but but the problem is because you're using my copy and my words and my feelings, it's not you. And so she was like, you're right. You're right. When I laid it out for her, she said, you're right. And she changed her entire business model. She changed her entire business model to what she loved. I was like, have the balls, have the fucking balls to stand up and be who you are and what you love. And no, there are people out there who will love that too. And she, she took my advice. She completely transformed all of her marketing material. She got new photographs done. She spoke. She, she started writing from the heart and the words flowed because she wasn't trying to, you know, copy what I was doing. She was just speaking as if she was writing to herself. And she had, she did a launch. She did a, a launch of her program with a webinar. And I, I can't even remember when it was. I think it was, it was four months ago or something. It took her a few months to redo everything. Three or four, about three months ago, she did a launch of her, of her webinar and she made over $30,000. And she'd never made money before, $30,000. And then she did another launch with a five-day challenge. And I don't know how much she made, but I'm sure she made multiple five figures. So she's building and building and building. And people are loving what she's doing. Is she selling jacked, ripped, shredded, get a six-pack, the world's most insane workout? No, but that's good because not everybody wants that. And if everybody did, the world would be boring. So you have to really be confident to be who you are. When you give yourself permission to be yourself, and to know people are going to judge you. Of course they're going to judge you. People fucking hate me. They hate me. Honestly, they hate me. You have no idea the amount of hate I get. Oh, she's so arrogant. She's so uh, The more successful she becomes, the more arrogant she becomes. You should hear the shit they say about me online. And I always say, no, no, sweetheart, I'm not arrogant. Do you know what I am? The more successful I become, the less afraid I become to be me. The more I realize, the more me I become, the more successful I am. So the more me I become, the more successful I become. So I realized that what has made me successful is being me, being me, not being afraid to be me. And to, and, and people, and I always say, like, the more, the amount of, like, I am a topic in vegan bodybuilding groups. I am a banned topic. You're not allowed to mention the Sculpted Vegan. Don't mention Sculpted Vegan. You might get leprosy. No, no, no Sculpted fucking Vegan. Do not mention it in here. It's a rule. It's a rule in some of the big vegan bodybuilding companies. She's causing anorexia anorexia and body dysmorphia and her programs are not sustainable and I'm like well yeah it's a four-week shred <laughs> it's not a four-week shred that you do forever the the whole the the you know the the clue is in the title four weeks um you're supposed to do it four weeks so I am banned but you know what see whenever they talk shit about me in there and sometimes people talk you're not allowed to say anything good about me but oh you're allowed to talk shit about me so you're allowed to talk shit about me in those groups they banned me from the groups I'm not even allowed in but you know the amount of people that come to me from those groups and go, here, I heard about you from, this, from the bodybuilding group, the women's vegan bodybuilding group. They fucking hate you in there. But here's, here's the magic that you don't realize, okay? When people talk about you, it's wonderful. Doesn't matter. I always say, if you love me, tell your friends. If you hate me, tell your friends. If you have no feelings about me, tell your friends. Just whatever you do, make sure you tell your friends about me. Talk about me. Talk If you hate me, talk about me. If you love me, talk about me. If you have no feelings about me, talk about me. Just talk about me. Because the more people talk about me, the more my name spreads, the more people get to know who me and they go, oh, vegan, sculpted, yeah, I want to be that. I'll go check her out. The more money I make. Some days they love me. Some days they hate me. Both days, I get paid. <laughs> so you have to be unapologetically you and that's how that's the first step to creating the programs that you want to create and fuck everybody else who cares if someone thinks that you know you shouldn't be doing something or other you have to stop looking for other people's approval I saw that a couple of times coming up in the groups and people are saying oh you know I, I was going to create a program but then I spoke to my PT and he told me it was a really bad idea so I didn't do it fuck your PT why are you asking his advice seriously my husband told me when I told him I wanted to create this called the vegan do you know what he said to me you want to create 
a 12-month program for women in their 50s and women in their 40s who are vegan who want to look like a stage athlete. And I was like, mm-hmm. And he was like, Kim, I really don't think there's a market for this. And I said to him, well, Ryan, in fairness, you're not actually my target customer. <laughs> so of course you're going to think it's a bad idea. Um, and so like everyone I told that I wanted to create this program, this 12 month program that was a thousand dollars for vegan women in their forties who wanted to look like they're, you know, like they were a stage athlete. Everyone went, you're fucking nuts. You are nuts, girl. This is never going to work. My husband told me I look like a dick. I'll never forget that. He just said to me, you look like a dick when I was posting things on Instagram. My mother was terrified about what the people in the golf club were going to say. Fuck, imagine what the people in the golf club were saying about me when I was posting half-naked pictures on Instagram. My sisters were ashamed of me. My friends were laughing at me. All my husband's friends' wives were <laughs> talking about me behind my back. Oh, Kim, you're doing so well. Fuck me, did you see what Kim Constable posted on Instagram now? Everybody talked shit about me. Do you think I cared? No, actually, that's not true. I did care. I cared a lot, but I just kept my head down and I just kept going. And I was like, fuck you all. Because really, it's like, it, it really didn't matter. So people are going to talk shit about you. People are going to say it's a bad idea. People are going to say, no, 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 you should not be you. You should be the you that everybody else in the world wants you to be. Because God forbid you're actually honest about who you are and, you know, what's going on inside you. You should be the, the polished societal version of you that is acceptable. God, God forbid that you should be you. I, I mean, imagine showing up in in your um in your underwear for like a business photo shoot see the amount of crap i got about whenever we launched the million dollar mentor last year the people were saying i look like a slut a cheap whore i was called uh oh my god i was called all of the nasty fucking names of the day because of the photos that i decided to put to promote my business program people were like oh well if she hadn't have been dressed in lingerie I, I might have taken her seriously well fuck you lady I don't give a shit if you take me seriously or not because this is who I am this is my brand this is my business I'm unapologetically me and you would not enjoy my program anyway so I'm really glad that you didn't buy it right um and whenever you just go out into the world with that attitude you you're free you're free you're free from what people think you're free from expectations you're free from the wit of other people's approval and society needing you to be a certain way you can be free you can be you you just have to give yourself permission and that's the first step to creating your programs okay number two blue ocean strategy here's what i'm going to teach you today you're like Whoa, okay can we change direction pretty quickly there number two right number two let's go moving on um okay so number two blue ocean strategy so i'm going to teach you about a blue ocean strategy today um blue ocean strategy is basically um a book that was written i'm not sure when it was written i'm, I'm not even going to do it justice here as so i'm going to explain it but this book absolutely changed my life it teaches you how to plot what's called a strategy canvas to create a program um, or a product that you want to purchase or that you want to create. And so the main case study in the book that they used was Cirque du Soleil. So everybody here has probably heard of Cirque du Soleil, okay? Cirque du Soleil came on the scene many years ago now. I'm not even sure when, maybe 10 years ago, but Cirque du Soleil was a blue ocean strategy. Whether or not they meant to create a blue ocean strategy, they did. How did they do it? Well, how the strategy works, how the strategy canvas works, I'm gonna actually do a screen share with you in a minute and show you. So how the strategy canvas works is you take, um, you take the industry standard and you plot the different, what did I call them? Customer touch points. Um, you, basically cut, you basically plot the customer touch points or the experiences of the product on a graph, okay? So on the x-axis, which I think is here, right? It goes from low to high. And on the y-axis on the bottom, you plot um, things like price. Um, I'm actually gonna, you know what, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you. I'm gonna share this with you. Let me just do this now, and I'm gonna show you exactly, because sometimes it's better to see a visual, isn't it? So I'm just gonna drag this out of here and over to here. Just bear with me while I get it set up here. Um, I wasn't actually gonna show, share the screen grab with you, but I think I will now. And I apologize if you are listening to this um, on a podcast because we are actually turning all of these lives into podcasts, by the way. 
So if you want to um, go and uh, listen to them on podcast, just go to the Kim Constable podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to it on Apple iTunes, and you can re-listen to this while you're walking without having to download it. Okay, so here we go here. Teaching notes. Um, I'm just going to pull up the graph. you think I'd be more prepared, but I wasn't going to do this. This is how I teach. I just, I'm very off the cuff. Very off the cuff. Okay, so let's see. Here we go. We'll do this one. I'm going to share, and I'm going to share screen. Uh, and I'm going to share application window, which is this, and I'm going to share. Okay, ta-da, here we go. So uh, let me just pull this up a wee bit more, make it a wee bit bigger. Excellent, because I want it still to be able to see me so that you guys can, can still see me. Right, so Cirque du Soleil, I literally just grabbed this from the internet. Cirque du Soleil very successfully entered a structurally unattractive circus industry. It was able to reinvent the industry and create a new market space by challenging the conventional assumptions about how circuses were. Its value was that it was innovative in altering the consumer group from children to adults. So here is what Cirque du Soleil did. It looked at the circus industry and it said, well, what are all the touch points of the circus industry? So you can see they're all planned along here at the bottom, right? So down here at the bottom, you have star performers, um, you have animal shows, aisle concessions, multiple show arenas, fun and humor, thrills and danger, unique venue. And then they've added some more in here, theme, refined watching environment, multiple productions, artistic music and dance. So they basically looked at what are all the commonalities amongst circuses? You know, they have animals, they have like that terrible music. They have clowns, they have sawdust on the floor. It's like bleacher style seating. It's uh, the price is low. You know, they travel around, they're a bit stinky. They, you know, have like animals performing and trapeze artists and this kind of stuff. So they took the traditional circus industry, which actually is a very popular industry. And what they did was they created something completely unique. So here is the simplicity of what you do here. Okay. You take all of the points of the current industry, and I'll tell you how I did this in a second, and you plot them along the y-axis on the bottom. So for Cirque du Soleil, like I said, it was here, star performers, animal shows, aisle concessions, show arenas, fun and humor, all this kind of stuff. So you plot them on and you make a graph. So basically you say, how much emphasis or importance does, you know, do traditional circuses place on star performers? Well, you can see here in this box, it's pretty low, okay? Pretty low because they don't really have, there's no one star performer because there's clowns and trapeze artists and there's, you know, people who shoot things across things and I don't know, haven't been to circus in years, right? But there's no real one star performer. Um, animal shows, okay? Oh, sorry, shit. Okay, I'm doing it the wrong way. Apologies. Forget that. Forget what I just said because I was like, star performers, they do usually have a star performer. We're looking at the wrong one, okay? Should have practiced this before I went live. So look at my look at where I'm circling here with my cursor. So the two circuses they took here are Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Barnum and Bailey, okay? They might be American. I'm not sure. We don't have them over here. And then there's smaller regional circuses here. So what they did was they plotted on the graph how much emphasis they placed on these. So you can hear, see here, star performers, reasonably high, okay? There is, there's the trapeze artist. There's the, the big fat guy in the middle with the top hat and who, you know, does the show and, and whatever. What do you call him? The ringmaster? Don't know. Um, and then animal shows. How much importance they place on animals? A lot, okay? Animals feature heavily in traditional shows. Aisle concessions. Well, they're walking around, they're doing popcorn and candy floss and you know, and trying to sell you shit and, and, you know, stuff for the kids and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, multiple show arenas, you can see here. So this is reasonably high on the on the curve. This is what they place importance on here. This is what this graph is doing. Um, fun and humor. Yep, they try and make you laugh. You know, traditional circuses this is, try and make you laugh. Uh, thrills and danger. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's trapeze artists and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you could fall and kill yourself and there's lions and elephants and things go wrong and there's fire and jumping through hoops. 
And then, you know, how much importance do they place on it being a completely unique venue? Well, none, because it's a circus tent that they erect and that goes round with them and that's it. And then, you know, do, and then these are obviously extra ones. Do they ever have a theme? No. Refined watching environment? No. Multiple productions? No. It's just like one show and that's it. It's just, you know, it's the same show that travels around the country and they do the same thing year in, year out, year in, year out, right? Artistic music and dance? No, definitely not. So they took this and then they plotted this on the graph. And then this is the this is what happened on the graph. Now, here's what Cirque du Soleil did, okay? They took each of these points and they said, how can we do the opposite of what is here? So they they looked at star performers. Are we going to have a star performer? Well, no, we're going to have many people in our circus. So let's not have one star performer. Animal shows? No, absolutely no animals. Very low importance. Aisle concessions? Nope, no aisle concessions. No candy floss, no twinkling lights, no popcorn, no aisle concessions. Multiple show arenas? Definitely not. We have one show, one arena, one big production in the middle. So that it's going to be very low importance placed on multiple um, show arenas. Fun and humor? Well, yeah, we like to create fun and humor. We're not going to make it like the most important thing, but we're going to make it important. Um, thrills and danger, absolutely thrills and danger. Yep, so that was quite similar to um, the value curve of the traditional circuses. Then right up here, unique venue. So they placed a lot of importance. See how they went the opposite? So down here, this is completely the opposite of what traditional circuses were doing. And then up here, you can see this was completely the opposite of traditional circuses too. They placed a low importance on this, whereas they um, up here, they placed a high importance that Cirque du Soleil did. And then they added in some other high important touch points, such as let's have a theme running through it. Let's have a really beautiful, refined watching environment. You know, over here, Cirque du Soleil comes into our biggest venues in Belfast. So it's a, a beautifully produced um, and set up arena. Uh, multiple productions. Yeah, like it's not, it's the Cirque du Soleil is never the same. It changes. They always have different shows. It's very well choreographed, very well planned. We've been to Cirque du Soleil three times now and it's never been the same show. Um, and then also artistic music and dance. Yeah, for sure. Like the the um, performers that they have are just absolutely insane. The music is amazing. There's, they're, you know, oh, they're just beautiful to watch because they're so good at what they do. So this is what Cirque du Soleil did, okay? And then there's another one here in the, um, in the homework or in the downloaded, downloadable PDF, which is about Yellowtail, the wine Yellowtail. So I find this one really interesting. Um, and every time I see Yellowtail, I always think now of the book. So Yellowtail was a wine developed in Australia. And what they did was they looked at the wine industry, which is a really, really, really popular industry. Okay, there's fucking millions of wine all over the world. And they thought, how can we create a wine that is completely unique and stands out from the crowd? An impossible feat, you might say. Well, no, because what they did was they took traditional wines. So you can see here, premium wines and budget wines. So this is premium wine up here, and this is budget wine in the middle. And they looked at all of the touch points from low to high. Price, awards, marketing, aging, heritage, wine complexity, varietals. Var I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. Varietals. Easy drinking, ease of selection, and fun. And they plotted them on the graph. Well, for a premium wine, this is all really high, you know, price, awards, marketing, aging, heritage, wine complexity. They place all of their importance on this, but they don't place any importance on ease of drinking, ease of solution or fun. And here's what the creators of Yellowtail realized. They realized there was a whole subset of the market that would love to drink wine, but that, but that didn't drink wine. And so what they asked was, why are these people not drinking wine? Why are they drinking Alcapops? Why are they drinking gin and tonic? Why are they drinking something other than wine? They have the money. They have the social aspect. They have the desire. They go to dinner parties. You know, this is like the middle classes who have, you know, the money to spend on wine. Why are they not choosing it? And so they realized through asking a lot of questions and doing a lot of market research that the reason, the number one reason that people weren't choosing wine was they were walking into a bottle shop and they were saying, or a liquor store, and they were saying, I, they were looking around the wines, they were thinking, I don't know what to choose. You have to be educated to choose a bottle of wine. I don't know what grape variety to taste. To, to, I don't know whether it should be a, a you know, a, a Merlot or a Cabernet Sauvignon or a, you know, or whether I should choose a Riesling or a, or a Chardonnay or the years or the regions. Like it was just too confusing. So the reason why they weren't choosing it is because they just wanted something that was easy to choose, that tasted good, that they were guaranteed tasted good. Because how many times have you bought a bottle of wine and you're thinking, God, I really hope this is nice. And you taste it and you're like, mm, 
yeah, no, too, you know, it's just it's sharp or it's too many tannins. You're like, oh, I just really don't like that. So you're, you know, these people didn't want to take the risk in buying something which wasn't going to taste good. They just, so they, that's why they didn't, that's why they chose not to drink wine. So they looked at a whole subset of the market and they said, why are these people not choosing wine? And they created a wine for them. So what did they do? They plotted on the graph. Well, what are the things that other wines place a lot of importance on? And they did the opposite. They placed very, so the price here, you can see the price was medium. Okay. They placed medium importance on the price. It wasn't super high and it wasn't super low. It was in the middle because they wanted to make some money. Down here, awards, not important. Marketing, not important. Aging, not important. Heritage, well, a little bit of importance on heritage, not like super low, but yeah, like they wanted to create something which, you know, had a little bit of, you know, finesse about it. Um, complexity, not really that important. Varietals, varietals, I have to look that up afterwards, not sure even what that means, not important. But look what they did here, right? They created something super easy drinking. When you buy a bottle of Yellowtail, you are guaranteed it's going to taste good. Guaranteed. And I've, I have now tasted them all, okay? Because I, I saw this and I was really interested to, to purchase a bottle of Yellowtail. So I, and they all do taste the really easy drinking wines, okay? One of them was called like the a big juicy red or something. And holy shit, it honestly tasted like you were drinking a kid's drink. It was so fruity. It was too sweet for me. I wasn't I wasn't into it at all, but I was interested to taste it. Ease of selection, super high. Fun, super high. They wanted to make a, an, an easy to choose, easy to drink, easy to select fun wine, and the industry exploded. They unleashed a bottle of wine or a, or a selection of wines onto a subset of the market that would never, ever normally choose to drink wine. And they created a wine just for them. And that is how you create a blue ocean strategy. So let me just then go back to, um, let me just go back then to um, tell you how I did this, okay? Just to give you a real life, a real life example. So whenever I was creating the yoga talks, my first ever yoga detox company, I basically, I, I wanted to create something completely unique, okay? Now in yoga, yoga is a very old billion dollar industry. And a lot of people are in your yoga teachers are like, oh, how do I create something unique in yoga? Well, I did it and I did it using Blue Ocean Strategy. So this book has been the fundamental cornerstone of my success. And so what I did was I looked at the yoga industry and I and I planned applauded all of these touch points. I actually did it on a graph. I wish I could have found it. I'll see if I still have. I don't know if I kept a lot of my early materials. I really wish I had of, but I used to have a book that I used to, to a journal I used to write in a lot. And so what I did was I looked at all of the different touch points of the yoga industry. And I was like, okay, specialization. Where on a, on a low to high, traditionally with, I wanted to create a workshop. So I'm just going to go back. Sorry. I, whenever I was creating, whenever I, I wanted to build a sculpted vegan, I thought to myself, I need to create a cash cow to pay for it because I didn't have any money and I was a stay-at-home mom and my husband didn't you know, have any spare cash to give, to give me to start the business. So I said to myself, I wanna create something just to make money. So I thought I wanna create a workshop because I knew that teaching one-to-one -one was, one-to-one -one was making me about 400 pounds a week, about $600 a week. But that was all the time that I had to teach. And actually that $600, there's one day I realized whenever I came downstairs and I handed all of my cash to the person I employed to look after my children, I realized that I was literally just working to pay her wage for, to look after the kids. And I was like, if I stopped working and I stopped having her come to the house, I actually would be no worse off because all of the cash I made, she earned 400 pounds a week. I employed someone to come help me when I wanted to start the business. She earned 400 pounds a week cash and I earned 400 pounds a week teaching yoga. So I literally taught yoga to earn the money to pay her. And that's when I had this epiphany moment. If I literally just didn't have her come anymore and stop teaching yoga, I wouldn't have to work because <laughs> I wouldn't be any worse off. So I thought I need to create something which is going to generate more cash. So I thought, well, workshops, if I started to run yoga workshops, um, then I could, you know, I could sell maybe 40 spaces at, you know, 30 pounds a pop, which would be 1,200 pounds gross for running a workshop. And that was a lot of cash to me then. So I thought, okay, um, let's do that. So I thought, okay, well, there's lots of teachers teaching yoga workshops and there's a lot of international teachers who travel all around the globe teaching yoga workshops. And I don't have that experience. I had a lot of experience in practicing yoga, but I, I was only, I'd only been teaching for six months, 
I think, whenever I first, um, whenever I created my first workshop. So I thought, I want to create workshops. And I thought, well, okay, so let's create, Kim, you want to create a yoga workshop. What is it that you want to do? And I thought, well, I've started specializing in detox yoga because again, I knew it was something was a buzzword. People want to detox. They want to think they can have a really big night out on a Saturday night and drink loads of alcohol and you know eat loads of shitty food. And then they can come and do a detox and they can get rid of their bloating, which actually a lot of twisting and that kind of stuff does rinse the organs and cleanses them. And you know, it helps you with bloating. And, and so it's not bullshit. It is actually true, but I knew that it was a marketable pain point. So I thought, well, I can create a detox yoga workshop. It was something I was passionate about, something I'd been studying. And so I thought, let's let's look at this workshop. So I plotted it all on a graph. I went from low to high. And then I I said, what are all the touch points of workshops that I've been to before? Okay, how much emphasis do they place on music? None, not, none whatsoever. Never really any music, that's low. How much emphasis do they place on um, customer experience? Do I get like welcome emails? Do I get, you know, have someone to greet me at the door? Do I, is the room scented and candled, all that kind of stuff? No, very low. Um, it's just rock up, put your mat down, show up, okay? Very low um, emphasis on customer experience. But well, okay, so what emphasis do they place on, you know, after workshop, do I ever get a goodie bag to take home? No, so after workshop care, very low experience, very low emphasis, so I put that low. Okay, what about, and then I looked at, what about, you know, do they specialize? I said, well, yeah, they specialize, usually it's back bends or it's this or whatever, so that's reasonably high. And so I began to look at all of the different areas or all of the different experiences of workshops that I had been to in the past. And I plotted them all on a graph. So I had the um, I had the strategy canvas of any workshops that I'd been to in the past, and it was low, 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 high, low, or whatever. And I literally just did the opposite. Price, that was another one. So I was like, I'm gonna charge. So what am I gonna do with price? Well, there, mostly those prices are reasonably low. I'm gonna go high. So I went, and I'm gonna go a high price. I'm gonna go high um, pre-customer experience. I'm gonna go high customer touch points. I'm gonna go high post-customer experience. I'm gonna go high on music. I'm gonna, so all of the points of the workshops that I'd been to that were low, I went high. And everything that was high, I went low up. And I created a completely and utterly unique experience. And in that yoga workshop, I sold, I also went into, um, I, I hired a, a room in the gym over here that I used to go to called David Lloyd. And I realized that if I strategically placed the mats, I could get 60 spaces in this workshop. And I, I used to place the mats with like literally five, six inches apart. And people used to come in who'd never done yoga. And also I really appealed to people because I was, because I was appealing to people who wanted to detox, not people who wanted to do yoga. I had so many beginners come to this, so many newbies come to it because they weren't afraid to come because they weren't coming to do yoga thinking everyone's gonna be beautiful and stretching and bendy. They were coming for a specific reason, which was to detox. So they used to come in, they used to, used to look at the mats because they were staggered. You know, that was the only way you could get so many in. And they used to go, and they used to look and I used to go, guys, you're gonna be looking up your friend's vagina. You're just gonna have to get used to it now. And they used to be like, oh my God. But like, seriously, guys, this is yoga the way it's supposed to be done. In India, as long as you have the space for your yoga mat, that's all you need. The minute you walk in this door, you are now a yogi. And so I made the bad thing a good thing. I was like, you're now a yogi. You're practicing yoga like they do in India. And I was like, say hello to your neighbor because you're gonna be looking up her vagina. And they used to be like, oh my God. And then I used to talk about fanny farts. And over here, fanny is a vagina. And in America, your fanny is your butt, I think. So a vagina fart, basically. And so I used to be like, you're gonna, you're probably gonna fart. You're gonna fanny fart. You're gonna burp. You're gonna fall over. You're gonna bump your head. And people used to be pissing themselves laughing because now I've made them feel good. Now I've made them feel like they're normal. They don't have to worry and they can laugh. And I used to make them work really, really, really hard and laugh a lot. And they fucking loved me for it. Because if you can make someone work really hard, but also make them laugh, they will love you forever. And so I created this workshop and I sold 60 spaces per month, okay? That was 1,800 pounds per month. And they were so popular, I put two on per month. And I sold 60 spaces twice a month. And I, I taught myself, oh, there's a very loud motorbike going past, sorry. Um, I taught myself Facebook marketing. I spent 50 pounds a day on ads for about two weeks leading up to it, I think. Um, I took that all out of my gross gross margin and I 
sold 120 spaces a month for a year. And I taught twice a month and I did goodie bags and Epsom salts and detox tea bags and, and all of these different things. And I got people to sponsor me with coconut water. And I created the most unique experience. And how I created this really unique experience was by doing a blue ocean strategy, um, strategy canvas, a blue ocean strategy canvas. That is how I did it. And I created something no one had ever seen before, no one had ever been to before. And people now still message me and say, oh my God, Kim, I loved your detox workshops. I bet you there's some people here now in this group who came to one of my detox workshops. And they just loved it. It was called, first of all, I called it the ultimate yoga detox. And then I changed the name to Diyoga Tox. And in the Diyoga Tox program, which is now currently discounted to $97, um, I saw some of you bought it yesterday. I was like, oh my God, I talked about it yesterday. And then we had a whole flurry of sales last night. So um, in there, you can actually see me doing the detox workouts that I used to do whenever I ran the detox yoga workshops. Um, and people were like, all the yogis were like, oh, she's like, you can't, you can't detox your body with yoga. Like she's just selling, uh, you know, she's just like duping people or, oh, you know, imagine bastardizing, you know, the ancient art of yoga. I was like, Like over here, fucking, you know, ooh, yeah, I know, bastardizing the ancient art of the ancient art of yoga. I'm so fucking sorry, sitting here in my counting house, counting all my money. Really, who gives a fuck what people think? I don't care. I wasn't here to protect the ancient art of yoga. I was here to make money, to grow a business, to change lives. Do you know the amount of people who fucking hate me because I'm not vegan enough to be vegan? Nope. I'm not because I'm actually plant-based in that I wear leather and uh, I, yeah, I, uh, that's actually really the only thing I do. I wear leather and I get Botox. Oh my God, imagine Botox and fillers, uh, which are pharmaceutical, which have to be tested on animals apparently, but so does the Band-Aid that you put on your cut or the Tylenol that you take when you have a headache. Even if you're vegan, they're all tested on animals, but that's okay apparently. It's okay to take an antibiotic, but it's not okay to get Botox. Why am I telling you this? Because I don't give a fuck what people say about me. I have changed more lives and saved more animals than anyone who judges me ever will. See fucking Fanny McFanny Adams, 52, sitting in her shitty little you know, house, miserable with her fucking dreadlocks and her hairy armpits, judging me because I am wearing because I'm carrying a Chanel handbag and she's over here fighting for the animals by being a keyboard warrior and judging everyone else. And I'm over here selling fucking 38,000 programs last year, converting the world to plant-based way of eating and stopping eating animals. But Fanny McFanny Adams 52 behind her fucking keyboard on Instagram is not afraid to judge me. And do you think that she fucking makes any difference to my life? No. I don't care. I'm here to change lives, make money and make my life better. And I don't give a rat's ass what people say about me or how they're going to judge me because people are going to judge. They may, if they don't judge outwardly, they're judging inwardly. People are always judging you. I'm judging you right now. <laughs> I'm not I'm joking. People are always judging you. Always judging. Everyone has an opinion. Opinions, opinions are like assholes. Everyone fucking has one and they are not afraid to use it to spout shit. So you just have to get used to the fact that people are going to have an opinion and you have to stop caring. Create your blue ocean strategy, okay? That's how you design your product. You have to not be afraid to create what works for your audience, okay? And don't give a rat's ass what anybody else thinks. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes, so and I've got so much more to get through. Um, okay, here's another thing you have to do. Um, you have to think about what the customer wants no, don't think about what the customer wants. Think about what they need, okay? You are the expert. It's not about giving them what they want or what you think they want. You have to be authoritative. Whenever I created my first Sculpted Vegan program, I did the same thing. I did my Blue Ocean strategy. I looked at every other fitness influencer on the market, every other fitness expert creating programs, and I realized they were all four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, or 12 weeks long. They were you know, all delivered in some kind of PDF. Nobody had a member's area. They, they didn't place a lot of importance on, you know, on doing like live Q and A's every week. And, and so I looked at what is everybody else doing? What is the industry standard? And I did the exact opposite. I created an online members area. I created training videos. I 
created, um, I did weekly live Q&As for two years inside the private Facebook group. I made the price $1,000. I made the program 12 months long. There was not one other fitness program on the market three years ago that was 12 months long. Not one. Do you know how many there are now? Fucking millions. Because everybody went, oh, well, the Sculpted Vegan's doing it. So if they're doing it, I should do it. So do you know what I did? I increased the time of my program to 18 months. 18 months. You know why there's no other 18 months programs on the market? Two reasons. First one is no one else has the patience to knuckle down and create a program that is 18 months long because it takes an awful lot of time, dedication and work. And secondly, no one else has the balls to do it. People are like, oh, 18 months. Who's going to buy an 18 month program? Let me tell you who's going to buy an 18 month program. Whenever you are gutsy enough to put an 18 month program on the market, you know what people say? Well, fuck me. It must work because who else would actually create an 18 month program? She isn't lying to me. She's telling me it's going to create it. It's going to take 18 months. People come to me and they go, oh, I want to buy your program because I really want to look like you in eight weeks. I'm like, no, no, sweetheart, you're not going to look like me in eight weeks. And they're like, oh, if I buy your 18 months, will I? Nope. What do you mean? No. I'm like, it took me five years to look like this. I would be doing you a disservice if I told you you could have it in 18 months. You buckle down and you work hard for 18 months. You look very different, but you ain't going to look like me. You know why? Because I've worked harder than anyone I know on my body. And if you only put in 50% of the effort, you might get 50% of the results, but you ain't going to look like me. And they're like, well, I, I, I can't believe you're saying this. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sell you a lie. I'm not going to tell you you are, because then you'll blame me at the end of it when you're not. I bought a program, a glute building program, when I first started my journey from a well-known fitness influencer, Emily Skye. And we're actually friends now, Emily and I. She's amazing. But it was four weeks long. And I thought at the end of four weeks, I was going to have a butt like Emily Skye's. Did I? No. And so I realized, oh shit, I made this assumption. And in fairness, Emily didn't tell me I was going to have a butt like hers after four weeks, but I kind of assumed that I would. So now I'm very clear in all my programs to say to people, by the way, this program will get you from A to B, but it ain't going to get you to Z, right? And if that's your expectation, you need to kind of pull your expectations back and put them in line with reality. Very clear with you know, you're not going to be shredded. If you're coming to my program, 30% body fat, you ain't going to be shredded in four weeks or eight weeks. You're just not. It's a physical impossibility. And to tell you that you would be, I would be lying to you. Will you get good results? Yeah. But are you going to be completely shredded and able to stand on stage? No. <laughs> it's a physical impossibility. So you don't lie to your customers. You don't tell them, oh, yes, yes, I can transform your life. If you can't, right? If you can transform their life in eight weeks, well, fucking bottle that shit because you're going to make a billion dollars. But if, you know, if like most people, you can't, then don't. Don't promise you're going to. Um, lastly, uh, make it simple, if not simpler. Less is always more. So let me tell you a quick story. There was a girl online who my team alerted me. We're always on the lookout for people who are copying me or just directly lifting my content. And there was a girl online who I, my team were alerted to the fact that she had released some kind of 12 week shred program, which was very, uh, very quickly after we had released our 12 week shred program and she was vegan. And so uh, we went online and we bought her program. And it, it turns out her program, she hadn't, well, she had actually lifted copy directly off my sales page and put it on her own sales page, like direct copy, word for word. And we contacted her and we were like, you can't do this. This is plagiarizing. You have to remove it. Um, and so, but anyway, I downloaded her program. And do you know how many, do you know how many PDFs came with her program? It was, and her program was, I think it was like $47, right? Do you know how many PDFs came with the program? 15. 15 PDFs. They just kept fucking coming and coming and coming. I got Christina, my COO, to purchase it under her name so she wouldn't see this Kim Constable and or under some weird pseudonym or something. And there were 15 PDFs. And I was like, holy shit, this girl is never going to be successful. I was overwhelmed with information. I had no idea where to start. But obviously, she was under the mistaken belief that if she just gave me more and more and more and more and kept piling on value and value and value, that I would be so wowed. But all I thought was, $47, 15 PDFs. This girl has no fucking clue what she's doing, right? None, none. And so if so, my, my point is an expert, if you are an expert at something, you can make things simple, if not simpler, okay? You must keep taking away and taking away and taking away until you're left with only the information that needs to be there. When I write a program, I go through it 10, 12, 15 times. And I keep taking away and taking away and taking away. I don't add, I take away. 
Because you know what an expert can do? An expert can get you results in a very short space of time. An expert can take a very complicated subject and explain it to you in such a simple way that it makes sense and you have an aha moment and you're like, oh my God. Like I have just in under 60 minutes given you 10 years of experience of creating a PDF. And actually I hadn't even planned, I'd only written outline notes for this um, for this class earlier. And Jamie Lee, who's my director of operations, operations messaged me and she said, I'm just in the in the teaching material and I, I see that you haven't, um, she goes, I, I, you know, I see that it's not complete. And this is, this is at 2.30 p.m. today, right? One and a half hours, 90 minutes before her class was due to start. And I said to her, yeah, yeah, I'm just about to work on it now. And she was like, oh my God, is there anything you need me to do to help? I was like, no, no, it's fine. And I just went, and I, what I taught you today, all the notes that you see here, I wrote them in 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Do you know how I wrote them in 20 minutes? I know this shit. I knew it inside out, back to front and upside down, standing on my fucking head. I could, I, I could keep you on here and I could talk for like, I could talk for like another two to three hours. Thank God I hear you say I'm not going to, but I could because I know this information inside out, back to front and on my head and I can explain it. I can take 10 years experience and I can, I can pack it into 60 minutes. And, but that's what someone who is truly an expert can do. So you don't want to overwhelm your people with information when you're making something. You want to make it simple, if not simpler. Give them the smallest amount of information that they need to be successful. And don't overload them because you don't want them to have to expend any extra calories trying to figure it out. And that's what people do. They, they make people expend calories trying to figure shit out whenever you really should be making it easier for your customer, not harder right? You don't have to prove your expertise to them. They've purchased your program. They've given you fucking money, right? Now make it simple for them. You don't need to prove your expertise to them. They've trusted you. So now get them results. People don't pay you for, uh, for the, a, a, a huge amount of content or information. People pay you for results. So get them the results as quickly, efficiently, and easily as you possibly can. Okay, so here is your homework for tomorrow. You ready? You are gonna create your own blue ocean strategy canvas, okay? And even if you are like, I don't know how to business yet, I don't even know what to do, I'm just here for like the fun to listen to Kim, that's okay, right? Just, just make shit up, just pretend you're starting a business, just like do it as an exercise for fun, okay? Just take something that you love, take your mobile phone, right? Pretend you're gonna create a mobile phone, that or a cell phone, as you call it in America. We call it a mobile phone because it's mobile. You carry it around your pocket. So let's say you are going to um, create, let's say you're gonna create a new mobile phone or cell phone. Just do, just choose something, okay? Something. And see if you can create a blue ocean strategy. Let me leave you with one thought. Tim Ferriss, who I love, uh, once told me, don't, if you're gonna create a product, create a product for the extreme user. What do I mean by this? Well, Tim said, if you're gonna if you're gonna create a toothbrush, don't create a toothbrush for the regular person who wants to brush your teeth. Create a toothbrush for a bodybuilder whose bicep is so big he can't bend his arm to brush his teeth. Right? Create it for him. That it's the same as my shred programs. All my programs in the Sculpted Vegan. I create programs for the extreme user. Most of my programs have two hours cardio a day and one hour's training. The calories drop from around 15 or 1600 right down to 1300 calories. You are, you are working harder than you've ever worked in your life before. You're starving, you're exhausted, you're, you're, you're like, this requires all of your focus and attention. Do you know why I create programs so hard? Because only 20% of people who use your product will use it correctly. So only 20% of people who actually buy one of my shred programs will do it as written. Most people will only do 30 to 60%. Not even kidding. People cannot commit or they don't wanna commit or maybe they don't really want it enough to commit, but for whatever reason, most people will only follow your program 50%. So if you're creating a fitness program, for example, and you create like a, Oh, just a nice little fitness program where they're just doing a wee bit of cardio and a wee bit of training and the calories aren't too bad. Nobody is going to get fucking results. No one, because most people are only going to do it 50%. So your program has to be so extreme that even if they only do it 50%, they still get epic results. 
So whenever you see all the results from my programs, and if you want to go onto the sales pages on our, our website and have a look, you can see there will be some people who have literally transformed in eight weeks. That's the 20% who actually do it all the way through to the extreme. And then there'll be other people who'll get good results. And that's the majority. The majority will only do it 50 to 40 to 60%, 30 to 60%. And they will get good results because the program is extreme enough that even if they only do 50% of it, they'll still get results. My sister created a, a product called the Babo Kush. The Babo Kush is a, is a comfort cushion. She created it for the extreme user. Her son had such bad colic and reflux as a child that he never stopped crying. So she created a, a, a comfort cushion where the baby lies on its tummy at an angle strapped in as if, and it's supposed to simulate the mother's shoulder and it vibrates and it has a heartbeat. She created it for the extreme user, for the baby that won't stop crying, for the premature baby that cannot bring up its wind, that has such bad reflux because of an underdeveloped system that it, it literally struggles and is in pain so much. She created the product for that. She made three million pounds in her first year of business. The company went viral. So um, she, she created that for the extreme user. You have to create your product or your program for the extreme user. If you're in psychotherapy, create it for the person who has such bad OCD or Tourette's that they literally can't function in their lives. If you're creating a program for, you know, for men to regain their fitness, create it for the man who's, who's 200 pounds overweight, on the verge of divorce, uh, is about to lose his job, hasn't exercised in 20 years, create it for the extreme user. Um, if you create it for that person, everybody else, the majority who uses it in the middle, who only does a 50% will get incredible results. So you want to always be bold enough, be brave enough to create your product for the extreme user. That is what most people are creating it for the middle people and to stay safe and stay with the crowd and not stand out too much. And God forbid someone might talk about them or judge them. Or, you know, they, and stop playing it safe. I, I stopped playing it safe years ago. I take massive fucking risks in my business. Jamie Lee, my director of ops, actually said to me today, I've just realized the amount of pressure you must be under because one of my key members of my team is off at the minute. My fucking CTO, my chief technology officer is off because his grandmother just died. His father is about to, to pass away of a very terminal cancer. And he actually had to, to take it off. My other, my my COO got fucking COVID. So she has been at home for 10, for 10 days, like um, isolating my, and then my head of uh, customer service who is pregnant was fucking terrified. She was gonna get COVID. So she was at home too. And we're right in the middle of a launch, right? And I said to Jamie, yeah, I am under a lot of pressure, but you know what I've realized? This is the way my life is. This is the way my life is. I have accepted that doing what I do is fucking hard and isn't gonna get any easier. So you may as well take risks. You may as well go out on a limb. You may as well just keep going because shit is gonna fall apart around you. Things are gonna happen. Disaster is gonna strike. People are gonna be off. You're gonna lose money. Shit is gonna happen. So you may as well go all in with both fucking feet and your whole body and your arms and your head and get swallowed up by it because what else are you going to do? You lead a nice, safe, parochial life? Be comfortable every day? Really? Where's the fun in that? It's much more fun over here on the risky side. <laughs> you know, riding your bike in Amsterdam where they don't have like, you know, there's no fences in Amsterdam. There's no signs which say, you know, stay out of the water. Stay out of the water. <laughs> if you're in the water and your bike's wet, you're on the wrong fucking side, mate. You need to be on the fucking footpath. So like, stop playing it safe. You know, I went to America a few years ago. I'm going to finish now because I'm talking shit. I went to America a few years ago and um, I broke every fucking rule in the country. <laughs> I was only there for like a day and I was driving in bare feet. Oh, no, not allowed. I, I went into the pharmacy in bare feet. No, not allowed to go in the pharmacy in bare feet. I left my children in the car when I went in to pay for fuel. Not allowed to leave your children in the car. And um, we went to some like swimming park. My kids like jumped off the diving board. Not allowed to jump. I set them on the slide to go down halfway. Not allowed to set them on the side. One of my kids went and peed in the bush. No, 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 can't go pee pee in the bush. It's like, holy shit, you know, I don't dress your children in public. I was like, he's one. No, 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 can't see a penis. Can't see a one-year-old's penis. You must use the changing room. I was like, oh my God, all these fucking rules. Like I'm a rule breaker. See in Northern Ireland, we're rule breakers. We put our kids in the front. We leave them in the car. We drive without seatbelts sometimes. Don't tell anyone. I talk on my phone when I'm driving, not supposed to. <laughs> 
if you get caught by a cop talking on your phone, you know what they say? Bad girl, shouldn't do that. Nobody saw you, drive on, don't fucking do it again. Thanks officer, no problem at all. Like, it's just, I, whew, I, the, the, you know, you have to be a rule breaker, especially if you're American, you're gonna have to break out of that mold and just be a bit, a bit more of a rule breaker. People will love you for it. And you know, honestly, if you, if you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. I have a magnet on my fridge which says, if you obey all the rules, you'll miss all the fun. So stop obeying the rules. Break out of the mold. Dare to be different. In fact, don't even dare to be different. Just dare to be you because you are different. You're different to everybody else in this world because you are you and that is your superpower. You are unique in every single way. You are unique if you just dare to be yourself. You are the blue ocean strategy because no one else is you. and No one else is like you. So if you dare to be you and dare to be yourself and be bold and courageous and stand up and say, fuck this shit, I'm going to do this. That's where the magic happens. It's where it happened for me. And that's what I really want to try and infuse in you in these five days is to have the courage to go for it. Yeah, I can teach you all the strategies and I will. But the one strategy that I, I, I can't teach you, which I really need you to understand that you have to have to be successful is you have to be willing to stand up and be you because people are going to judge you. They really are. They really are. You just got to grow a set of balls or a set of tits <laughs> or whatever is your metaphorical hard hard thing. Doesn't make sense. You know what I'm trying to say. Just got to have the guts to go for it. And if you have the guts to go for it, I promise you the magic lies on the other side. So go do your homework, create your strategy canvas, think of all of the customer touch points of your industry, plot them along the y-axis on a graph, mark them from low to high as to how much importance or emphasis is placed on them, plan how you can differentiate on these experience or touch points and plot your new product on the graph and have fun with this. It's gonna be in announcements. It might even be there already, but it's gonna be in announcements under the announcements tab. Um, you can go there, get your homework, download the PDF, and let me know how you get on. Let me know when you're coming. Let me know, write posts in the group and let me know because I love reading how you're all getting on. And I will see you tomorrow for another masterclass where I'm gonna teach you how to sell. You're, you're all like, have the idea, have the product, know the, know the customer, have no fucking clue how to sell. That's what we're gonna teach you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're gonna teach how to sell. We're gonna I'm gonna teach you how to decide on a sales mechanism on which one is perfect for you and your industry. Um, I'm going to teach you how to look outside the industry for inspiration for those of you who don't have a lot of cash um, just to completely differentiate yourself, stand out from the crowd. Um, I'm going to teach you how you don't need more products. You need more eyeballs on your products. And I'm going to teach you the math of selling, which is then going to move into Thursday, which is about how to make $50,000 in your first launch. Not even kidding. And then on Friday, day five, we are going to teach you how to scale to $1 million in 12 months. I'm gonna give you the exact math, the exact strategy, the math that you can plug in and you can keep it forever more for whenever you get to the stage that you are ready to scale to a million dollars, you can just go back to what I'm gonna teach you, go back to the PDF and do the homework and you can use that exact strategy to scale your business and that is gonna happen on Friday. And then on Friday, I'm also gonna tell you how you could be coached by me or by my team. We have three different options for you on, on Friday. Um, how to be coached by me or my team for the next six months. I'm taking a, a group of 20 entrepreneurs, no more than 20, of 20 entrepreneurs to coach um, on Zoom weekly and in a private Facebook group to scale and take their business to the next level. Um, and so I'm actually, but that's by application only, okay? So to apply to that, you have to book a one-to-one -one call with me so I can interview you because I'm not taking everybody. Um, and we're gonna open that opportunity up on Friday. So if you're interested in hearing more, you must be there on Friday. And I'm also going to give away cash on Friday, by the way. I've just said I'm going to give away. I, I, like, I might give away like $2,000. Oh, I love giving away cash. So I just like randomly like just fucking call people out here live and be like, you can have cash and you can have cash. I'm like, fucking Oprah Winfrey, just throwing the cash around. So we're going to give away loads of cash on Friday too. So if you want the opportunity to win some cash, make sure you show up on Friday. But be here tomorrow to learn how to sell your product. Um, thank you so much for showing up today. Have a wonderful rest of the day wherever you are. Big kiss from me to you. Okay, bye guys.